Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to The Roy Green Show podcast. Mike Millian, president of the Private Motor Truck Council of Canada. Mike, thank you very much uh, for coming back on the program. What's your view of the convoy and its objectives? Yeah, thanks for having me again, Roy. Um, I mean, we're glad to see that so far it has remained peaceful. Um, you know, the, the objectives of the convoy, and it was reported by the truckers when it first started back in early January online and social media that the objectives were supposed to be the border vaccine mandate that was coming into place and the federal vaccine mandate Um that was possibly was going to come into effect in early 2022 for federally regulated drivers. As we've all seen since, since it's hit the road on the 23rd and maybe even shortly before that, it's become this freedom convoy and it's about ending all public health measures and, and, uh, and regulations around COVID-19. Uh, you know, as I spoke last week uh, with you, Roy, um, our, our association is in favor of vaccines. So am I, uh, we weren't in favor of the vaccine mandate, um, but, you know, the message that we need to end all public health measures, I mean, that, that's not a message that's going to get through with most. I don't think uh, we're two years into COVID. Do we do we need to change the way we work with it? Probably. Um, but it's still with us and we can't just end all public health measures and carry on as if it's not here. So we're, we're not supportive of that message. Are you hearing from individual truckers? And uh, if so, what are they telling you? Is there a preponderance when it comes to the message? Well, you know, Roy, our, our, I know some people's research shows 90%. Our research shows around 75 to 80% of truckers are vaccinated. So the majority are still vaccinated. There is some support for the original message from vaccinated and unvaccinated truckers for, for the peaceful right to protest and, and, you know, the vaccine mandate not being put in place. There's also a significant majority that are not happy with this protest. And the way it's turned out, I think, more to the point, because... You know, it has been hijacked by people outside of the trucking industry, in our view, with some of the rhetoric that we've seen uh, online, some of the uh, interviews we've seen some from some people purporting to be part of this protest uh, that don't really have anything to do with the trucking industry. And it's putting a stain on the entire industry. Um, we respect people's rights to peacefully protest and, and get their opinions out there, but you know, when we see signs that say blank Trudeau, um, you can think whatever you want of a political leader. A respectful debate and protest is, doesn't include language like that, in my view. Um, comparing vaccine mandates to the Holocaust um, does not have a place in, in a respectful debate and is not something that should be used. So the majority of those voices, in our view, are from outside of the trucking industry and do not represent the truck drivers that are in this protest and the truckers as a whole in the industry is there a fringe is there a segment of the industry that will have those views of course there is there's a segment in society that uh unfortunately is is racist and holds some of these views of of hate speech and violence so there's going to be a segment of that in every industry but it's it's a very small percentage and you know we want to make sure the public knows that that's not representative of the way the entire trucking industry thinks. It's not representative of the way the majority of the trucking industry thinks. Yeah. Do you believe the situation has the potential 
to damage the trucking industry and its reputation? If we don't get out in front of it, yes. Which is why, you know, I spoke out Wednesday and Thursday against some of this rhetoric we were we were hearing. Um, you know, the various outlets, I know other members of the industry have as well. We encourage drivers that may have been in this protest that this wasn't their message to make sure they reached out to media and let them know what their message was. Um, we, we encourage the organizers of the protest to get out in front of this and, and speak down against the language that was coming on from the people that were attaching themselves to the protest. Uh, and some of them did. There, there were some leaders from the convoy who come out in, on Thursday and, and did speak down to it, um, said they were not there for, for violence and hate language, and if anybody was encouraging it, uh, they wanted their people that were in the convoy to report it to police to uh, to detach it from the convoy. Um, you know, one thing we're concerned, though, is um, you know, even if you look at the images there now, there seems to be a lot more passenger vehicles there than there is actual trucks, which means I, th- I think shows you that there's a percentage of the trucking industry there, but there's a lot more people attached to this that are outside the industry. But concern is when you get this many people together, whether you're trying to be peaceful or, or not, there's always going to be fringe people and different viewpoints. You get tens of thousands of people together, there's going to be people that go sideways. Yeah, inevitably. All right, let's talk to Canadian trucking firm owners who support the, the uh, idea of the position that drivers must be vaccinated. Um, Ron Foxcroft, Fluke Transport in Hamilton. David Carruth, one for freight, also in Hamilton. Gentlemen, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, Fox, talk to us, please, about why you believe strongly that drivers must be vaccinated. And I understand, if I have this correctly, that you've received very negative reaction to that position. Talk to us about that. Well, actually, yes, Roy. We we have been uh, threatened for David and I's position. If you recall on your show uh, many weeks ago, we suggested that uh, both Canada and the United States put this uh, border regulation on pause to give the trucking industry an opportunity to regroup because we're operating at a very difficult time, Roy. We're operating in the wintertime with blizzards and, and terrible conditions, high fuel costs, high taxes and and so on, labor shortages. So we suggested that both companies, both countries put this on pause. Apparently that's not going to happen. So we would suggest to the the protesters, we did have a concern as well. I I don't want to forget to tell you this. We felt at the beginning with this convoy that extremist groups would infiltrate the, the convoy. And that is exactly what has happened. And so now... You know, the trucking industry, as Don Cherry says, is the heartbeat of the Canadian economy. But now the convoy has been distracted and infiltrated with professional protesters. Yeah, uh, things, are, from what we've heard, are, are quiet in Ottawa at present. Uh, we, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens in the hours going forward. So um, re- negative reaction, you've had that, obviously, yes, yeah? Ron, you've had negative reaction to your position. Uh, yes, yes, we have. But, uh, Roy, I, I got a suggestion. You know, I said to you on your show last week, I am really concerned about society, uh, the erosion of respect and the erosion of compromise and the erosion of communication. And I really, really believe that uh, these protesters are soon going to find out they're not going to get what they want, which is the regulation rescinded. 
And because even if they did, the United States, as was said by your colleague, uh, Bill, Bill Kelly, uh, they are not going to rescind it. So now is the time for communication and compromise. And I suggest this, Roy, there's an olive branch that the government can throw out to the trucking industry. Help us. Help us. Number one, the trucking industry agree to help eradicate the pandemic. Number two, the government uh, throw out an olive branch and say, let's reduce the tax on fuel temporarily. Let's reduce the carbon tax. And government, help us with a plan to help us with the labor shortage. There's a terrible labor shortage right now. So work with us on the plan because we have greater, great challenges over and above the border regulation. Yeah, you do. And you're right. Uh, fuel prices have gone up dramatically in the last week. We'll be talking about that on tomorrow's program. David Carruth, OneForFreight.com. David, thoughts on uh, on what Ron just said? What are your thoughts on uh, drivers being vaccinated? And have you uh, have you received any negative commentary for, for your views? Um, actually, I've, I've not received any negative commentary. Uh, and... Um, I, I kind of sit in the middle of the fence. I I, um, I support vaccinations. Obviously, I'm fully vaccinated myself. Um, but we as a society also have to support, you know, the right to choose. And we have to support that it's it's everybody's right to say, I want to get vaccinated or not. Yeah. And, you know, if, if you choose not to get vaccinated, um, then there's going to be some things you can and cannot do. Um, it, it's, it's that simple. Uh, we're pretty... Um, lucky at our company where um, all but one of our uh, drivers is vaccinated. Uh, So what we needed to do was we repositioned them and repurposed them, uh, kept them working, but just uh, domestically and in Canada. Uh, In other companies, uh, I do know, I've been speaking to a couple of their executives who have done the same thing. They've repurposed and and going from there. Now, that's only going to be a short-term solution until it comes into play uh, within the Canadian um, federally regulated companies being uh, mandated to have vaccinated drivers. So so we spoke with, uh, I keep saying this, we spoke with Perrin Beattie, the chairman of the, the CEO and president mm-hmm. of the Canadian Chamber of Commerce. Just spoke with Dan Kelly of the Canadian Federation of Independent Business. We've talked to uh, Premier Kenny and Premier Mo, and we've talked to others on this program, and they've all said the same thing that they believe that the timing of the man- mandate was completely wrong and that it's it's impacting uh, our, our well-being, essentially, economically and otherwise, negatively, and uh, they want to see it rescinded uh, because of the timing. Uh, David, would you agree with that? Would you say uh, it's that time? Is, that is 100% correct. Uh, and, and in in the efforts that uh, I was involved in um, with the government, that's what we were just asking for. Uh, we understand that the vaccination mandate is going to come into play. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we, we certainly talk not just uh, for the industry itself, but for the whole supply chain. Um, it, it is not in good shape. And, you know, you see that in stores where some stores, um, their, clerk, their clerks cannot uh, stock the shelves because they don't have enough people through being sick. So it's, it's, it's a timing issue um, that just needed to be addressed so that supply chain and the industry could get ready for what was coming forward. Yeah, next hour we'll talk to Gary Sands, Senior Vice President of the Canadian Federation of Independent Grocers, about their situation, their reality, their shelf stocking, and whether or not they're going to have to close some stores, which Mr. Sands has said previously could be, could be, um, 
uh, could be happening. Fox, people have the right to uh, dissent, the right to protest, the right to challenge mm-hmm. government decisions. I just think we've gotten to the point, and tell me what you think. I think we've yeah, gotten to the point. We've talked about this. You know, the people have reached the, 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 the limits of their tolerance for debate. Yeah, I think it has to do with COVID, Roy. I think it has to do with uh, we've been living as a nation now for 22 months with COVID, and we uh, our experience had tremendous amount of uh, disdain and frustration and so on. And there probably is um, uh, basically a, a misplaced uh, direction towards who is the enemy. Mm-hmm. And and you know what? We have an awful lot to be critical for with the government. You know, like they don't have to give us any more reasons to be critical. And it's really easy to criticize the government. But the enemy here, Roy, really isn't the government. The enemy here is COVID, the pandemic. And as I said earlier, David and I said several weeks ago, the timing of the border regulation was really difficult for us to manage in the trucking industry because it's in the dead of the winter with all the other problems that I explained to you earlier in this broadcast. The timing is absolutely terrible, but it's a bigger picture. It's a frustration of 22 months of COVID. It's a frustration that there's a terrible erosion of respect in society. The other thing too, Roy, uh, the, the viciousness in social media has exasperated this problem. It has just exasperated the mm-hmm. problem to the point where everybody is at a boiling point. So yeah. Yeah. going back to what David and I have been saying for weeks, government, United States and Canada, pause the border regulation. Let's restore communication. Let's start with Justin calling Joe with a cup of Tim Hortons and a cup of Dunkin' Donuts and say, let's, what can oh, we yeah. do can to get this supply chain going efficiently? I can see that, Fox. I can see, <laughs> I can sense, see Trudeau Fox. and Biden with a double-double and a crueler. <laughs> in, in the couple of seconds we have, and it's really a couple of seconds, David, has the situation for trucking deteriorated since we first talked in December? Uh, yes, I think it has. Uh, and, you know, it just within our sister companies and the backups that we see, um, other companies have okay. also started cutting off mutual clients. Okay. Um, and it's just getting pushed through into any system they can. Dairy prices are going up beginning Tuesday across Canada. Dairy farmers' expenses have increased and farmers will receive a record-breaking 8.4% increase for their milk. And this means the cheese and butter and yogurt will cost more to produce. And guess what? Well, I won't ask you to guess, because joining us on the program is Professor Sylvain Charlebois, the director of the Agri-Foods Lab at Dalhousie University. Professor Charlebois, this is the third week in a row. We're going to have to start paying you if you keep coming back. <laughs> well, maybe I should uh, I should pay a membership fee or something. <laughs> well, we can we can we can handle that. We can. T- I'll send you a little card if you'll send me twenty bucks. Just kidding. People are going to believe that I'm serious now. <laughs> I'll be getting emails on this. I'm, I'm far away in Tampa Bay, uh, as you know, Roy. Over uh, over last month or so, uh, the number one news uh, around here obviously is uh, Tom Brady's retirement. Uh, I've been looking for some news about the. Uh, uh, truck convoy in Canada and Ottawa can't find anything. 
Perfect. No, not with not if Brady's involved. Not Absolutely. If, well, I mean, obviously here uh, in Tampa Bay, the Buccaneers are uh, are a big, big, uh, a big news item. But um, I, I, because I mean, I've been thinking about this convoy in Ottawa, and mm-hmm. of course, if if uh, if they wish to reverse the mandate at the border, we need we would need reciprocity from Washington. So I've been looking at. Washington looking at the United States to see if there is any any movement. There's there's nothing really. There's apparently there's a convoy in Italy and Australia inspired by Canada's, but uh, nothing's going on in the U.S. Really. Yeah, I doubt that they'll they'll do anything yeah. based on the on the convoy here, uh, Professor Charlotte. So dairy farmers are receiving a record breaking increase, eight point four percent, for their milk as of next yeah. Tuesday. Can you put that into context for that, us? That is a that is indeed a unique Canadian story. Yeah. <laughs> Only in Canada. Uh, you know, Roy, a lot of users wouldn't know this, but uh, industrial milk in Canada is three times more expensive than in the U.S. Wow. And so as of February 1st, we're adding an extra 8.4%. And so that is due to uh, the Canadian Dairy Commission's uh, calculations. By the way, Roy, the Canadian Dairy Commission is owned by everyone. It's a crown corporation, which works for Canadians. There's about 80, 85 people working there. And every year they actually survey about 240, 250 dairy farmers. Uh, They're not obligated to participate, so likely the sample is somewhat skewed a little bit. Uh, And they come up with, uh, with an evaluation about how much it costs to produce milk. And they make a recommendation, and this year uh, they came up with a uh, with a huge number. Eight point four percent is almost double the previous record over fifty years. That so uh, that is a Canadian story. Are quite concerned. Yeah. Well, let me ask you then. Come back to this issue of the uh, of the of the vaccine and the mandate. Is this vaccine mandate is this causing any issues as far as food pricing and food supplies and and you know, crossing the border in both directions. Oh, absolutely. And uh, uh, so with, with access, uh, I mean, I don't think I'm, I'm, I don't think I'm concerned at all. Uh, there are going to be some, some challenges and, and do expect some empty shelves here and there, uh, especially this time of year with produce, center of the store, dry goods. Uh, but overall, we should be fine. Uh, in fact, uh, Metro CEO Eric Laflesh, who I know very well, uh, made a statement this week uh, during his uh, financial call that uh, that uh, they, they've, they've continued to import uh, food into uh, into their stores. But uh, and that's the but I was expecting from uh, Eric Laflesh. Uh, costs have gone way up. Freight costs have. Increase by anywhere between 25% to 100%, depending of of what you're shipping, uh, when you're shipping it, and where it's going. Okay, so if we take this 8.4% increase for milk for dairy farmers and then spread that across what's going to be happening to dairy products across the board, and as you've told us before, this is going to extend to every shelf in the grocery store, if we take that and then we look at the increased cost of food because of the... Um, because of the uh, uh, the supply chain issue, and we're going to be speaking with Gary Sands from the Canadian Federation of Independent Grocers in a couple of minutes' time. Uh, if we put those two together, what's going to happen to food prices over the next m- few months? Do we know? 
Well, that's that's kind of the irony these days because uh, we've been talking a lot about the vaccine mandate affecting truckers and, of course, uh, trades, imports, uh, and a lot of people have said, well, maybe we should make, uh, we should produce more food for ourselves in Canada. Right. Well, that's what supply management is in Canada. We we produce most of the dairy products that we consume in Canada uh, are made in Canada, and prices are really, really high. And, and and our expectation is that dairy products will increase by anywhere between six to eight percent over the next ten months. Overall, if you look at the entire grocery store, given what's going on right now. We're expecting prices to rise by as much as 7%. So for a family of four, uh, if you're out there, the average family of four, uh, you're looking at an increase um, of about $1,000 for your food bill over the next 10 to 12 months. Okay. So it's 1000 bucks. Yeah, that's important. I mean, expensive too. So, uh, yeah, I had a funny line here, but it's gone. I waited too long. <laughs> it's, I, waited, you're, you're I waited too long. long. That's probably why. And it's Saturday. You got to take it easy. Got to take it easy. <laughs> well, enjoy your time and enjoy yeah, your time in Tampa Bay. What was that? I got to tell you, people in Florida are super nice. Eh? They're, they're always in a good mood, and maybe it's the weather. But COVID barely exists here. Um, half, the, half the people actually are wearing masks, and uh, well, we're doing okay here. Uh, we take oh, our own precautions. It. We're vaccinated, obviously, but yeah. uh, we're—I uh, mean, it's—it's been—it's been great so far. Stop it! It's minus five hundred here. <laughs> <laughs> and Halifax is being hammered by a record-breaking snowstorm right now. <laughs> you sound like you're enjoying yourself, Professor Charlotte Boy. So we'll yeah, let you—we'll let you go back to the beach. As the cost of food increases. As Professor Sylvain Charlebaugh told us a few minutes ago, may some grocery stores not be able to open their doors, at least temporarily, because, well, shortage of food, labor challenges, and uh, including a shortage of truckers to make deliveries, as well as the overall supply chain challenges. Gary Sands is the Senior Vice President of Public Policy with the Canadian Federation of Independent Grocers. He joins us on The Roy Green Show. Gary, thank you very much for the time. Um, what's the greatest single challenge facing independent independent grocery store owners across Canada? Well, right now there's two, actually. I couldn't say one. It's it's the labor shortage combined with product shortages. That um, Those are the two biggest single challenges we're, we're facing right now. Can you talk to us first about what the labor challenges are, the labor shortage? Well, you have to understand... Um, uh, Omicron has just ripped through the entire food supply chain. Uh, producers, processors, uh, packagers, distributors, wholesalers, right up to retail grocers. Uh, so we're, our members are reporting absenteeism, labor shortage of vote, everywhere from 15 to 25 percent. And in some sectors, that might even be higher. And, uh, and 15 to 25 percent, having a, um, a reduction in staff in a store of 15 to 25 percent would make it very difficult, I imagine, to operate the business on, a, on, a, on an expected basis. It, it is difficult. You have to understand, too, that, that um, there's been a number of challenges that have had a cumulative impact on retail grocers over the last uh, few months, actually a couple of years with the pandemic. Um, it, is, it is challenging. I, I wouldn't want to... Um, diminish or minimize 
the challenges that the industry is facing right now, and certainly on behalf of my members, I, I, I wouldn't want to downplay those at all. But I would, at the same time, um, caution people not to panic. We don't want to see a resumption of, of panic buying. That just hurts everyone and helps no one. Yeah. When we talk about independent grocers, we're talking about grocery stores that are not affiliated and not part of a major chain, yes? Right, right. That's right. And right across the country they exist. There's about 6,900 independent grocers in Canada. Uh, Many, many of them are located in a myriad of communities that are semi-rural, rural, rural, uh, remote, some in indigenous communities as well. And what people sometimes have to forget in the center of the universe, which otherwise is known as Toronto in Canada, is that often those stores can be the only grocery store in town. So the issues that you're raising and talking about today, we have to really keep our eyes on those communities. And I'm saying not just us, the independent grocers, we it's industry and government and the public. We have to be very sensitive to the fact this is a big country and we don't want to be getting into the the realm of starting to worry about food security for those communities. No, we don't. And if you had two communities side by side where the grocery stores, maybe the one store in the community, were not open, then you have a really critical mass situation starting to develop. But let me ask you about that. Uh, when we talk about food shortages, a potential for the independent grocers, the uh, supply chain issue, the uh, the trucks availability, whether it's the vaccine mandate or just the numbers of trucks that are on the road, is there... Don't want to scare people. But is there the possibility that some independent grocery stores, labor challenges as well, that some independent grocery stores may, for a given period of time, find it necessary to close their doors? Are we talking reality as as opposed to hypotheticals? That's a very, yeah, it is a very hypothetical. We're not seeing anything like that right now. We're tracking with our members what their shortages or what is the industry, what the industry calls their fill rates. And we're about uh, 20 to 30% short uh, for some products. But people are going to be able to get what they want. Uh, it might not be in the quantities that they want. It might not be there this day, but it might be there next week. Um, I, I guess if I could back up, if, if I have the time, just to say that let's let's remember that what we've been through over the last you know few months and couple of years. I mean, we were already in a pandemic pre-Omicron. Uh, we had catastrophic uh, flooding in BC, which caused significant widespread damage to the infrastructure. That might that that causes a ripple effect right across the the country. Then Omicron hits, uh, you know, ripping through the supply chain. And remember, this is Canada, and it's January, so we we have winter. Um, that's also a challenge in, in many of those rural and remote communities. And now, um, you know, just this month, we had the cross-border vaccination mandate imposed by both governments. And in our view, we're not arguing too much with the with the requirement, uh, the policy. We you know, but it it couldn't have come in terms of timing at a worse time. Yeah. Um, our advice would would have been to push the timing of the implementation back, and I'm saying that for both governments, to when we start to see the numbers improve for Omicron, which the the same governments are telling us we'll start to see uh, in February. Yeah, it's a bit mysterious, isn't it, when we have organizations, national organizations, both in Canada and the United States, like your organization, the CFIG. We also have the CFIB. We have the Canadian Chamber of Commerce. We have uh, provincial governments. We're all saying the same thing. The timing of this vaccine mandate 
and the reduction of trucks on the road delivering what needs to be delivered when there was already stress. And from what we were told by truck company owners, 5 to 30% of trucks were sitting in the yards, not moving when they should have been. It seems absolutely puzzling that the governments, both of Canada and the United States, would choose the middle of January to introduce a vaccine mandate, does it not? It, it does to us. Uh, I mean, it, it, every truck that's not on the road, uh, we'd rather be seeing a food convoy than a freedom convoy. Yes, sir. That's, well said. I mean, for, for independent grocers, um, I can't overstate the importance of trucking um, to their uh you know their their ability to serve their their communities. You know many of those grocery stores that I talked about in those semi-rural, rural, remote communities, they don't have big warehouses sitting there with a ton of inventory. They're very dependent on that truck, yeah. and it might sometimes only be one truck a week to come in. Okay. And again, it's just you know I don't want to, you know I mean others might, but I don't want to get involved in. The, yeah. in the debate why the American I hear you. Canadian government decided to do the vaccination mandate. But again, the timing is just incredible. Let's get on to something else, although it is related. Because when we talk about money and we talk about interest rates and we talk about where we are financially in Canada, it is significantly important that we keep our eye on the ball. It was widely expected the Bank of Canada would increase interest rates this past week. However, the BOC held steady for now. Why? And for how long? Not for long, according to projections by RBC. RBC expects the Bank of Canada to begin raising interest rates shortly. And to join us and talk about this, Craig Wright is Senior Vice President and Chief Economist at RBC. Mr. Wright, how are you? I'm well, Roy. How are you doing? I'm well. Thanks for taking the time. No problem. Uh, an interest rate hike from the bank was expected this past week, but it didn't happen. Were you surprised? Actually, we weren't. I mean, it was a close call, but we were one of the small in the small group of people that were expecting the hold rates uh, steady. We thought it's really not an urgency to be going in January, though it, we do expect them to move uh, very soon. As uh, inflation is still a worry, and there's there's lots of other factors, but I think at the, at the end of the day, a clear line of sight on what the first quarter growth rate looks like, given the latest wave of COVID. Um, a view on what the Fed will be doing, U.S. Central Bank, which also had an announcement on the same day on Wednesday as the Bank of Canada. And really, the, the, the next meeting is five weeks away, so it's not too long to wait from an interest rate perspective. And over that five-week period, we'll have lots of information to uh, to distill. Okay, that's good. Because, well, no, we're in one of those times where Canadians, I think, are paying so close attention, more than usual, to what the Bank of Canada does, because it's reflected on what you do, what the major banks do. And then it affects all of us, because, you know, there's so much pressure on housing these days. Are there implications of, uh, and, uh, accepting what you just told me, are there implications of the no interest rate hike at this time, which we might have to deal with? Well, no, I mean, I think the, the Bank of Canada, Governor Macken, was pretty clear that they decided not to go in January, but it, they, I think they would even admit it was a very close call for the governing council. But they gave clear indication that they're moving, and in all likelihood, we'll see a move with them uh, early March. So it's just really giving everybody a heads up to get ready for a rise in interest rates, which I don't think anybody was surprised because no. interest rates are at 25 basis points. They're at a record low. So when you get a record low, there's only one way to go, and that and that's higher. And so I think about a little time for people to adjust and get ready for the rise in rates rather than surprise Canadians, uh, surprise markets, and probably contribute to a stronger Canadian dollar than we need right now. Mm-hmm. Do you have expectations about where the interest rate will go? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a good part of what we uh, our job. So we do have interest rates going higher. 
Um, I think we, right now we've got an April move, but uh, we'll be having a new forecast uh, next week, and I think it'll be a pretty close debate whether they wait till April or go to March. And I can tell you where my vote will be, and that'll be to uh, to move in March. So we'll see where we settle. But it does. I wouldn't get so excited about you know when they start. It, it's imminent, whether it's March or April. I think the more interesting uh, question is how high will they go? Yeah, well, that's what I, that's fast. what I, that's what I was asking you. What, yeah, what, what so numbers we, are you expecting? Yeah, so in the next year and a half, we have the Bank of Canada getting the overnight rate to 175. So compared to 25 basis points today, that's 150 basis point higher over a course of a year and a half. It's not going to be a straight line. They'll probably move a few times and pause and see how the economy reacts and then move a few. Um, but a rise in rates, and that just gets us back to pre-COVID levels at 175 on the overnight rate. Where's the greatest impact going to be on the Canadian economy of rising interest rates? Housing? Uh, yeah, housing specifically but the consumer more generally um so yeah when you when you look at the impact the most interest rate sensitive sector of the economy is housing and as we know it's had a a long and strong run Uh, i think there's still good momentum over the near term the inventories are record low demand's very strong and supply is still trying to catch up so great momentum over the near term but as we go forward we've seen prices rise as interest rates rise that makes housing affordability more of a challenge and with that we'll see a cooling but we don't think a collapsing in the housing market and obviously the consumer um, will feel some of that that burden so we'll see a, a softer consumer outlook going forward but just a moderate cooling in the housing markets our base case um, statscan is saying that our inflation rate is 4.8 percent uh, how significant a concern is there about the length of the inflationary trend do you have concerns that may continue? Because initially what I'd heard was it's going to be a short run. It's turned out not to be that. Um, how do you project how long inflation may still continue? Yeah, it's a key question, Roy. And I think it's the first time in 40 years that we've actually had a legitimate concern in Canada about inflation. So, yes, uh, uh, 4.8 in December. I think when we look at it, people that were... When we first saw inflation drift higher, there was discussion about transitory versus permanent. But regardless of your view, it's out. It's lasted longer than anybody had expected. So over the near term, we see it continue and be strong. So first, maybe second quarter. And then as we go forward, we see it um, coming down a bit. And that reflects a slower growth profile in part because of rising rates. But also we think uh, oil prices level out and uh, some of the supply chain pressures we've seen uh, should moderate towards the end of the, the year. And we've also got a favorable base effect. So we saw big price declines during COVID. Now we're seeing price increases, and that just pushes the headline rate up. And by our estimate, that's about 2% of the 4.8. So lower inflation as we go forward, but not until the probably the second half of the year gets a little more convincing. Okay. Are there factors at play nationally, internationally, which make economic projections a greater challenge now than in recent history, certainly pre-COVID times? Yeah, um, obviously, I think the, the most obvious of the risks right now in the context of worry about inflation is energy prices and oil prices in particular. And there, there's some longer-term transit, longer-term impacts from the energy transitions taking place around the globe, but more acute pressure, obviously, given what's going on in the geopolitical world uh, with uh, developments in the Ukraine and Russia. And, and that uncertainty has contributed to energy prices rising higher and, and probably staying higher, which works against that eventual decline in inflation if they stay at these elevated levels or that situation gets even worse. So that's sort of front and center right now for from a worry worry perspective. Yeah, we live in a fractious world, do we not? Um, so, so if we take that into account 
and we move that uh, somewhere close to the front of the table. Where's your focus as chief economist of RBC? Um, I think it's it's questions like these that we're getting asked and trying to help uh, clients uh, sort of navigate through this uh, level of uncertainty. And when you look at the economic environment, I think uncertainty is the only uh, given in the, the year ahead. So we're looking at the economy from very strong rebound to COVID leveling off and cooling down, inflation elevated and hopefully slowing, interest rates moving from zero to something higher. And at these turning points in the economy, you see immense amounts of volatility. We've only had a taste of that with financial markets. So continued volatility and and uh, lots of risks with respect to whether inflation will slow, whether growth will moderate or something more uh, more acute in terms of pressure. So lots to worry about right now. But uh, overall, I think the, the fundamental for the Canadian economy still look pretty solid, and we continue to expect a decent year through uh, 2022. Even with $540 billion in uh, deficit spending over the last couple of years. Yeah, yeah, we'll get an update on that. Obviously, we'd like to see less, um, and you know, the projections for the fiscal deficit at the federal level is uh, to see a smaller deficit. But, you know, last year was just under $350 billion. This year, just under $150 billion. They, they used to be huge numbers for yeah. context. So $20 billion used to be a huge number. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I think in a five-year horizon, they actually have another 20 in there. I think that's just to show they have a sense of humor. But we do see <laughs> um, that deficit working lower. A lot of the support programs, the government support programs, were dependent on the evolution of COVID and, and when the economy could uh, withstand uh, the pullback there. And I think when you look at the support the government's put in the economy, the consumer sector on average is actually in better shape than they were pre-COVID because we have seen massive accumulation savings. And by our calculations, it's $300 billion. So that's a, a pretty powerful tailwind for the consumer um, as we move forward, an environment where the job market's very strong. So we'd like to see smaller deficits. We'd like to see that debt level um, level off relative to GDP, and the, the real, the really, the only solution is uh, reining government spending and have a strong growth in the economy, and that makes these debt and deficit levels a little more sustainable. According to the former chief analyst for Statistics Canada, where he spent 36 years specializing in macroeconomics, Philip Cross, who is now a Monk Senior Fellow at the Macdonald Laurier Institute. Uh, told the Commons Finance Committee that the actual rate of inflation in Canada is significantly higher, more than likely, than the 4.8% official rate of StatScan. Philip Cross, Monk Senior Fellow at the Macdonald Laurier Institute, joins us on the Roy Green Show. Mr. Cross, thank you very much for the time. StatScan saying 48%, 4.48%, that'll be interesting, 4. Yeah. <laughs> 4.8%. You're, you're suggesting the uh, real number is 6% or higher. Please explain what caused you to see things differently from your former organization? Uh, first of all, thanks for having me on. Pleasure. Uh, normally, Statistics Canada probably overestimates inflation a little bit. That's what the consensus of people for decades has been. But in this particular circumstance, because of shortages uh, during the pandemic, uh, it's very likely StatCan is substantially underestimating inflation. We know right off the bat, I mean, I threw at the number 6%, and that just reflects that used cars aren't included in the Canadian CPI. We know from looking at the American CPI, which does cover used car prices, that they've jumped significantly because of the shortage of vehicles. Uh, so vehicles alone, the shortages of them would push it to 6%, but then there's shortages of everything else. I mean, you go to the grocery store and, you know, there's no vegetables or chicken. That happened to me recently. 
you go online to buy a printer, as I tried to do last year. The model you wanted, the cheaper model, isn't available, so you have to buy a more expensive model. So all these uh, shortages are driving up the cost to consumers. Um, so it, it's likely that the true inflation rate is substantially above 6%. So to the average consumer, to the average Canadian, what does that 6% represent vis-a-vis the 4.8% that StatsCan is saying? Well, what it represents is uh, that your purchasing power isn't going as far as you thought. I mean, that's why most people are saying these days that they can't keep up with rising prices. Right. Uh, it also means, though, that you're going to be shortchanged next year. I mean, the whole tax and transfer system, you know, uh, pensions and the, the indexation of the tax system is all pegged to the CPI. So if the CPI is understated, then the increase in pension benefits or employment insurance benefits that you're going to get is is not going to be as great as it should be, and you're going to be pushed into higher and higher tax brackets faster and faster when Stackhand understates inflation. Okay, so Bank of Canada did not increase its interest rate, as was expected by many over the last couple of yep. days. So uh, we just spoke with the chief economist of RBC. He's expecting this to happen sometime in March or early April. Uh, if the Bank of Canada s- goes with a 4.8% interest, or at least a 4.8% uh, inflation rate, as put forward by StatsCan, uh, is this going to, will they undershoot what's necessary when they raise interest rates, or are those two not connected? It's possible. I mean, but you look at the U.S., and the Federal Reserve Board's in exactly the same position. Their published CPI, which is a little more accurate than ours, is up to 7%, and yet the Federal Reserve Board didn't pull the, the trigger last Wednesday either. So uh, I think the bigger problem is central banks are in this world. They've been pushing uh, out quantitative easing and zero interest rates for so long now that they're kind of it's very difficult it's easy to get into those policies it's much harder to get yourself out of them that every time you threaten to do something markets start to quake and uh, everyone gets nervous and you know we saw banks try to to normalize central uh, 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 monetary policy in 2018 and they backed off because markets just got so nervous so quick so it's uh, it's likely that central banks are just very nervous about withdrawing all this extraordinary stimulus they injected into the system. And it, it, it the problem is, you know, the longer they wait, the harder it's going to be to withdraw. So we're we're on a really bad treadmill here. Yeah, we we are now in deficit spending of some five hundred forty billion in the last couple of years. I mean, that's yeah, and that's massive. To it. Yeah, and it's because of those huge deficits that central banks. They, they wanted to keep the interest rate down, so they bought all these bonds from, from the government, right. monetizing the debt, and that was immediately reflected in the higher money supply. I mean, people have been looking for this for some time. For the last 10 years, people have been talking about central banks printing money, and it never really showed up in the money supply until the last year. And suddenly in the last year, we saw the money supply here in Canada jump by 30%. And I don't care if you're a strict monetarist or not. I don't think there's an, an economist in the country. When they see the money supply draw, suddenly jump 30%, every economist has to be going, oh, oh, this isn't going to be good. And lo and behold, already we're seeing a significant uptick in prices. Yeah. So uh, if we look down the road a little ways, what do you see? For the average Canadian, the consumer who has to, you know, get ready for spring and summer and fall, and people who may have uh, ambitions to buy a house, buy a car, some high 
price items? What do you see? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's always tough. You know, the average Canadian is going to suffer whenever central banks make a mistake, and they've made a, two mistakes. They overstimulated the economy. They overestimated the damage that COVID was doing to the economy last year. I mean, yes, it was significant, but it was largely confined to certain pockets of the economy, you know, restaurants and hotels and airlines, that type of thing. You didn't have to bring in lower rates for everybody uh, to fix this problem. So they, they lowered interest rates too much, and they kept them low too long. And as I say, the longer they wait, the the more inflation we're going to see in the short term, and that means higher interest rates, even higher interest rates over the longer term. So uh, the bank, Macklem was very clear in his press conference Wednesday that he was that the Bank of Canada is on the path to higher interest rates, and by path he meant a series, a number of interest rates, not one or two, several interest rates. You just wonder why he was so shy about pulling the trigger last week, but uh, uh, I think it just guarantees we're going to see more increases down the road. So much fun, isn't it? Energy prices going up, interest rates going up, inflation going up. Uh, it's it's uh, better to pay the higher interest rates. So, I mean, it's going to hurt in the short term, but in the long run, higher prices are going to hurt more Canadians. Uh, so it's it's better to get to nip this problem in the bud and not let it go on for years like we did in the 70s. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.